Yeah, well, there's, I mean, there are multiple ways to monetize this stuff, right? Um, and it's not all revenue. And in fact, you know, not, I, I, I promise you, I don't mean to pimp the book here, but, but in the book, we actually go through the 10 different ways to monetize, and not all of them are revenue-based. Um, you know, a great example of this, quite frankly, is, um, you know, so one of the things that's very big right now is privacy and data concerns around CCPA and GDPR and, Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. This is part two of our interview with Robert Rose. If you missed part one, please go back and, and learn about his books and um, go check out his website, uh, especially contentadvisory.net. Um, Robert, I kind of want to pick up on where we left off on part one. Um, I'm thinking about uh, this question that you're asking. And, and can you restate it again, the question that people are asking but they don't realize they're asking? Sure. I mean, it, and, it's, and it can come in so many different flavors, right? So the the most typical things, um, challenges that I hear, whether I'm at, you know, a, a conference or in a workshop or, you know, from in, from the meeting, first meeting with a client, typically centers on something like, hey, ha you know, I'm a marketing department of one. How are we ever going to find the time to do this? Or quite frankly, I'm, you know, this is my partner, Margaret, and, you know, I'm Bill, and we're going to be creating some content for our business. But quite frankly, we're so busy creating brochures and web pages and landing pages and emails that we just don't have time to create a blog or a content marketing strategy. Or how am I ever going to be able to manage and measure this, you know, at scale? You know, how am I ever going to be able to do that in this big business that's already siloed and, and et cetera, et cetera. All of those complaints basically lead down to one question that isn't getting asked, which is what should my operating model of content look like? In other words, when I hear that, whenever I hear those complaints, what it tells me is that there's a desire to make content a strategic function in the business, but there is no strategic function being made. In other words, it's the, the metaphor I often use is, you know, businesses are pretty resourceful, right? People and businesses are creative and resourceful. And if you go to them and most, this is the way most bosses and the most CEOs and, you know, VPs and stuff, you know, they start a content marketing strategy is say, hack together for me an airplane. And the people will get really resourceful, right? They'll build a blog or they'll build an event or they'll build a, a campaign around an ebook or they'll build something, you know, they'll hack it together. And they'll, they'll typically do something really resourceful and really creative and really innovative as they, as they do that. They'll hack it together. And then somebody says, okay, do that again. And they start hacking it together again, trying to use what they learned last time, but it doesn't really work because the last hack didn't, you know, didn't quite take that into account. Bill had time last time. Now he doesn't have time. And they're trying to hack together an airplane in the same fashion. And it doesn't ever really work and so on and so forth. And what we really need to think about, and is if you take a step back and say, 
you're not trying to hack together airplanes. What you're trying to do is figure out how to build an airplane factory. You're trying to build, you know, you're trying to sort of take a step back and say, how do you build airplanes at scale? And that's the real difference. And we, you know, we certainly have a framework and a model for how to think through all of that um, in terms of, you know, what your operating model looks like. But if a business can start to understand how content works and, you know, we're stupid enough and, and, and bold enough to say that content is the thing you produce more of than anything else in the business. So it should have the same strategic protocols, governance, guidelines, and approach that legal, marketing, sales, accounting, any other function in the business should have. And so once we do that, that answers every single other one of those questions. Well, I love it. You know, I, I got to tell you, I think that this is really going to change the way the private investment world works. You know, um, since the Jobs Act became legal and, you know, for the first, you know, whatever it was, three years ago, um, uh, you can now advertise a private investment in America, which was illegal for 80 years until yeah. until that, right? You know, yeah. there's this huge opportunity, like our Greystoke investments, we're going to buy these big apartment complexes, right? Um, we're doing a 506C raise right now so that we can advertise to anybody, even though we can only accept accredited. We'll do a Reg A plus later, hopefully, and then we can take everybody, right? And so this idea of getting the word out to a lot of people is no longer illegal, right? So the question is, you know, you look at, you know, $500 billion Blackstone, how does somebody like us compete with them, right? And it's probably not going head to head, you know? And for us, we just thought, oh, we're going to go after somebody that Wall Street doesn't really care about. We're going to go after the individual investor. So um, we feel like, you know, if we can, if we could get out there and help entrepreneurs, you know, build a sellable business, learn how to invest like Warren Buffett and do philanthropy that actually works. If we could build trust by like genuinely helping with that, helping them with that, then there's a chance they'll put a portion of their, you know, earnings off this business with us so they can have some passive income, right? So my, and the other advantage is our charity we started 10 years ago, Child Rescue that combats child sex trafficking. It, it should give us the money to build shows for that as well. So we can, we can help more kids there. Um, so my question for you is, if we're going to go try and get a lot more of these kind of millionaire founder entrepreneurs, you know, like they, they've got a big enough business to, to have some money, but they're not like, you know, they're not being covered in the business media at this point, right? And we're telling them to read your books and we're, we're trying to help them realize how much better things could go if they had content, building trust, bringing leads to their salespeople, stuff like this, right? And they're overwhelmed. And this goes back to what you're just bringing up. What advice would you have for us as we're trying to um, give them the confidence? Like they're saying, I'm good at my business. I don't know the media business and it doesn't fit into our existing model so far so like you said, do we have to beg, borrow, and steal to come up with this? What, what advice would you have for us on how to help these, you know, pretty inventive people if they started their own company, right? And it, it got, it beat the odds, it's been around for years. How do we help them overcome the, like, the anxiety or the, or the overwhelm of, hey, we don't want to just put out some fluffy blog posts. We want to go like full killing marketing of like building something that's so valuable it actually competes with traditional media. It's a great question. And so the answer is, you know, and what I love so much about what you're doing, um, as you outlined it there, is you are truly living the entire idea of Kevin Kelly's thousand true fans, right? You know, <laughs> which is, you know, building an audience, you know, looking at the, the, the bigger companies out there, 
that are still stuck in older paradigms to say, hey, here's the way that you build value, right? You, the way that you build value is you either have to go to, you know, you know, get millions and millions of millions of people to do something, or you go get a few people who have lots and lots of money to, be, to do something. And instead, what you're doing is you're saying, listen, we don't have to be as big as BlackRock. We don't have to be as big as Schwab. We can make an incredible amount of money and business value through building an audience that's passionate about investing in these particular things. And the way you do that is the way you're, you know, approaching that is to say, I'm trying to build, you know, I don't know if a number's a thousand or not, but the, the, the number is, you know, a lower number than, than a BlackRock or a Schwab would need to say, these are passionate people who will trust, have confidence in me through the value that I deliver them in content, education, inspiration, and all of that to do the thing that I want them to do, which is invest in, you know, in, in my, you know, in, in my portfolio and, and, and invest, basically invest in us. And that is content marketing, you know, sort of, you know, a blueprint for it, right? Now you say, okay, well, we're not very good at that, right? We're not a media company. We're not skilled at that. We're not, you know, how do we start taking some of those first steps? If we believe that this is a good idea, how do we start to take some of the first steps to be able to, to do that? Well, the answer is quite frankly, as, you know, as simple as, as you would build any other function in your business. In other words, you either hire for skill um, and you start building in an internal competency and capability to be able to do this. And you start exercising that muscle and, and building your own um, platforms to be able to build those audiences and build that value. You certainly have the passion for it. If you're in business for whatever you're in business for, you have the passion for what you're doing. So no one can take that away from you. And, and certainly you have a point of view on the world because you have a business. And so what is that point of view on the world? Now you just need somebody to execute that into you know good customer content experiences that can drive that value. But if you don't want to wait, because of course that takes time, you know, you've, you've got time to hire, you've got time to build, you've got time to write, you know, and you want to sort of be able to maybe jumpstart your way in. Acquisition is also starting to become an opportunity, right? There are certainly people in your industry that are already doing this, that are already building blogs, already building resource centers, already building magazines, already building audiences that you want to reach. No reason you can't go out and either partner, acquire, or at some point, aqua hire, as the kids say these days, those people to jumpstart your ability to start to get into this business very, very quickly. And that's starting to become a very common thing. And then the other is, of course, some hybrid of that, right? Where it's not build or buy, but it rather is some sort of integrated um, partnership or integrated uh, sort of co-opetition in some cases with competitors to be able to leverage what it is you're doing together to have a you know win-win situation. And so that's, you know, there, there are numbers of ways to get good at this quickly. Um, and then of course there are ways to get it good at this organically by simply um, you know, putting in the blood and the sweat equity that you need to do. Yeah. I, I love that. And I'm thinking about these thousand true fans that you call them. I, I love comparing it to that. And I'm thinking it's the same thing that I want them to do. You know, in a way, I'm trying to help them make enough money to invest with us. We're going to try and help them make extra money so they have the cash to buy some passive income from yeah. us, right? Yeah. Teaching so, your customers to be customers. We, yeah, we, right? That's one of my love. I love doing that in my workshops is one of the biggest benefits of content marketing is let's teach our customers how to become customers. Well, so my thought is this is the same thing I want to help them do. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So um, when when you 
because I know you've worked with big giant brands, startups, everybody in between. When you think about specifically for a founder, for the entrepreneur who they're, they've got a great business in road construction or, you know, so, some industry that maybe is, uh, feels far away from media, right? When you think about that moment where like there's that click in the brain or their eyes light up and all of a sudden they feel like maybe, maybe I could do this. Like at first they're checking it out. They're wishing, they're hoping they could do something like this. And then that moment where they're like, you know what? Those are just mere mortals that did that at their company. Well, we're humans too. We, if they learned it, we could learn it. Do you have any, do you have any thoughts about where that tipping point comes sometimes as you've observed it? You know, it, it, so that tipping point you know, and it's more common, let's be honest, let's, it's more common in businesses where um, certainly it's far away, you know, the further away from media, you know, like you said, road construction or manufacturing, or, you know, we, we had a client um, last year in the mining industry, you know, where they built a heavy equipment for mining. Um, And, you know, I mean, that's as far away from media as it gets. Um, But, in all, in every industry, there are three things in common. Um, any successful industry, let's put it that way. <laughs> there are one, people who need to know how to do it. In other words, there is a need for teaching. And in one of the cases, like the mining example, the people who needed to learn that were, you know, quite frankly, really needed to learn it because one, there wasn't a lot of material out there. And two, as an industry that's quite frankly suffering a bit, you know, there was, you know, there was an interest in getting, you know, people to actually be more engaged in it. And so one, there are people who need to know what it is. Two, you, because you're a business owner or a business manager, have a point of view on the future of that industry. And if you're staying in it, you believe that it's good, right? Let's just make that assumption that you believe that what you're doing is has a future and that you're passionate about that and you have a point of view on that. And the third thing is that there are others like you out there who can benefit from this and you want to bring them into the fold. That's all building an audience is. It's, it, it's the, at the mm. end of the day, it's, that's, it, that's it. The, the rest of it is just trying to figure out, you know, what it is you're actually going to say to them and whether or not you're skilled enough as a person to be able to say it. And if you say, you know, like, for example, accounting, I know I need accounting and I know I need to do accounting in my business and I suck at it. <laughs> and so I'm not going to do it. I'm going to hire someone. I'm going to find someone who can help me do that in a way that helps me differentiate my business that, you know, I'm looking for the smartest, best person to help me do that. The same with sales, the same with customer service, the same with operations and the same with content. And so as you're teaching your audience how to do this, you are enabling them to think in a different way. And quite frankly, you're enabling them to think in this way that ultimately enables them to take their business and grow it no matter what it is. And so that's what I mean by teaching your customers how to be customers. It's teaching someone to change or teaching someone a new skill. And that new skill just happens to align with what it is I want you to know. In other words, I'll, give, I'll put it into a tactical example. One client, we, 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 um, we had served law firms and they're a software company that does like back office workflow stuff for law firms. And, you know, not a huge business, small business and, you know, a very technical software product. And, you know, quite frankly, most law firms, it's like, you know, it's like putting in, you know, the, the, you know, the, the back office computer system, the lawyers aren't really interested in doing that, right? They're, they're more interested <laughs> in practicing law. 
But the reason that they need to do it is because their law firm is growing and they need, you know, sort of to be able to scale and add new partners and add new associates and work together in a seamless way. And so they didn't focus on trying to teach lawyers how to become back office experts. What they taught lawyers was how to become more successful lawyers. Because what happens when you become a more successful lawyer? Well, your law firm grows and what do you need? Well, I need stuff to help me scale and make my stuff better, et cetera, <laughs> I love et cetera. It. Yeah. yeah. So that's the, that's the real difference. Yeah, no kidding. You know, I guess it leads to my next question, which is I'm thinking about, so we've got, you know, I've got a client with, you know, started the company six years ago, was already doing millions of dollars, um, got 350,000 followers on Instagram, which drives a ton of their B2C sales, you know, digital web website sales, right? And what about this transition from, you know, we're, we're just going to put stuff out to the point of like, if they do want to get serious about maybe this could be a revenue thing, that that idea of like, you know, instead of just marketing, in a sense, this is now going to become a revenue source. And like, maybe we need to hire somebody to go sell the ads against our, our, uh, our media. Any, any thoughts about that transition of, hey, you know, I want to go from Red Bull creating great stuff to Red Bull selling ads on that great stuff or selling that content to, uh, you know, somebody else who wants to license it. Yeah. Well, there's, I mean, there are multiple ways to monetize this stuff, right? Um, and it's not all revenue. And in fact, you know, not, I, I, I promise you, I don't mean to pimp the book here, but, but in the book, we actually go through the 10 different ways to monetize and not all of them are revenue based. Um, you know, a great example of this, quite frankly, is, um, you know, so one of the things that's very big right now is privacy and data concerns around CCPA and GDPR and, 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 and those kinds of things about how you utilize first party data. Um, one of the best ways is if you can develop a content marketing program, let's say an email newsletter or, you know, some sort of subscription based program where you're delivering content where part of the, you know, part of the, um, you know, the, the quote unquote compensation and or transaction is you're, you know, you have people signing up and giving you first party data as a, as a part of that, um, that, that transaction is leaning into that first party data collection to do things like make your media buy more effective. So if you're, for example, going to go out and do LinkedIn campaign or a Facebook campaign, being able to use a database of emails to do a lookalike advertising campaign to reach people who look like these people can save you lots and lots of money. So that program and building your first party database, your data database can, it doesn't necessarily have to sell more stuff, but it can actually save you money in terms of what it is you're using that information for on your other expenditures. Organic search is another great one, right? If you can start driving a lot of organic search traffic to your site, now you're not having to pay for that traffic. And so that's saving you money ultimately by driving better and cheaper traffic that ultimately maybe converts at a higher rate, et cetera, et cetera. So there are savings as well as revenue. Once you start to look at that revenue side, you say, okay, what we're doing is great. And I think we can actually sell this 
Um, the key is making it look like a product, right? So how do you actually start looking at your media platforms as products that you're going to monetize either by, you know, driving revenue through it. In other words, selling access to it. Maybe it's a book, maybe it's a resource center, maybe it's monetizing it through advertising. Great example of this, of course, is what J&J, Johnson & Johnson does with babycenter.com. They, their, their whole platform, the value of it is the first party data they get from the subscribers to all of the information on babycenter.com. The way they fund it is they sell advertising. They sell advertising to, you know, everybody, you know, non their competitors. They don't sell any advertising to competitors, but they'll sell advertising to those people who want to reach moms and dads who use babycenter and they get sponsorship dollars for it. Same way with our podcast, same way that that pivot is basically just saying, hey, listen, we're going to start monetizing this. So if we're going to manage it like a product, what are all the changes that we need to take to just to make that shift? you know, because we need to be in our integrity. We need to make sure that we're doing things in the right way, that we're not abusing this audience uh, because there are mistakes that you can make there for sure um, in assuming that you can just monetize it right away. But it's just having the same care and feeding of that experience that you would any other product in your portfolio and managing it like that. Yeah, I love that. You know, um, I'm, I guess this leads me to a question again, maybe back to me is, I'm I'm thinking about everything you're saying here and it's <laughs> I've got questions for another 4 hours of interview but we're about done. So, um I'll narrow it down to maybe a couple. One of them is I'm thinking, you know, with with the opportunity for this show to become a driver for us for for our Greystoke investments, right? Um you know, we were top 3 on iTunes right now for innovation, we're top 15 for leadership. Uh we just made it to the front page if like if you're on the browse and you go um in the business section to entrepreneurship, we made it to the front page of that, right? Um, and then we're starting to compete with the big boys, you know, the Tim Ferriss shows, the stuff like this. If you had advice for me, as I'm thinking about this show and wanting to really ramp it up um, and, and have it become more of an asset than it already is, what kind of thoughts would you have for podcasters specifically? For a podcaster specifically, I would say um, the, the real key is understand that the audience that you're building in a podcast is not your audience. Mm. Um, and it's, you know, it's Apple's, it's Android's, it's, you know, whatever podcatcher you're using to distribute your content. And you don't know. You, the, <laughs> Get the them to an email you list. Don't, <laughs> but yeah, you don't really know who they are. Mm -hmm. you, have a, you have an idea, you know, you have some analytics and you have some um, detailed. So if you're thinking about a podcast as one of your primary sources, by all means do, but combine it with something else. In other words, combine it with a, a resource center, a website, an email newsletter that people can go subscribe to so that you're starting to build an audience that you know, that you can reach. Mm -hmm. um, because if that, you know, because they can change the rules on me at any point. Exactly. Pretend, you know, just in your head, as outrageous as it might sound, pretend that you've invested all this money in this podcast. And then tomorrow, pretend that iTunes and Stitcher and Spotify all go away. And what would you do? Mm -hmm. And in the answer, when you've got an email newsletter associated with it or a website, you go, oh, well, I just transferred over to my email newsletter and I would host the audio file on my, on my website. And 
I would make that shift. It would suck, but I would make that shift. Mm -hmm. That's the real key. Don't build your only house on rented land, as you've heard us say a million mm -hmm. times. Um, and so, yes, by all means, go do a podcast, but combine it. And that goes for, by the way, a Facebook page. It goes for a Twitter presence. It goes for a LinkedIn presence. Those YouTube are all channel, rented all land. By all means, go build things there, structures there, centers of gravity, but don't build your only thing there. Figure out how it works into an owned media audience. Yeah. You know, I love it. Great advice. Um, maybe my, my final question here is, I'm thinking about, you know, you guys talk about things like um, Dreamforce and how Salesforce is you know, event has become such a huge asset to them. Um, you content marketing world obviously got super popular. Um, I know you've been to tons of other people's events and, and as a, you know, as a keynote speaker all over the place. Um, when you think about, you know, these, these millionaire entrepreneurs, my, my thousand true fans, I'm trying to help, uh, or even ourselves, as we get to the point where we say, okay, we want to do an event. We want to have these people not just build relationships with us, but with each other and this kind of a thing. What is either, um, what are a couple of missteps and what are a couple of uh, pieces of advice of the people who are trying to make that transition to, we want to have a, we want to have a successful event? I think the, the, the biggest one is trying to duplicate something that you see out there, you know, at the very beginning. Mm. Um, and what I mean by that is, is that, you know, you look at a, you know, an inbound event or a dream force or, you know, or a content marketing world, or, you know, you look at those events and you go, I'm going to do that, but I'm going to do it for my industry. And the challenge with that, of course, is that it, it, it's a bit like looking at a product um, and saying, ah, there's an iPhone. I'm going to do that, but I'm going to do it for my industry. And it's like, no, that's not, that's, that's, that's not going to work. And it typically doesn't, by the way. Um, events are expensive and they're, you know, and they're hard to do well. Um, and so my advice is try to design an experience that your audience and, and to the point of asking them what kind of experience makes the most sense. It might be a hybrid virtual um, physical event. And that's certainly something that's going to be taking more prevalence these days for sure. But beyond that, it may be, you know what, we actually want to do something a little more intimate. Um, you know, we want to do something that's by design, keeping it to a hundred or 200 or 50 people, um, and do them in multiple areas rather than sort of trying to get everybody to come to one city and, and, and all of that. We may not have external speakers. We may have only external speakers. Design the product, design the event for your specific audience. Um, and, and so that you get the most people that will attend and get value out of that experience as possible. Because what that does is that it sets the foundation for if you want to try and get it sponsored by others, right? So if you're going to look to your industry or your um, sort of uh, not competitive set, but certainly the call it the aspirational set, those that are looking to reach the same audience, but are not competitive and you want to have them help either co-sponsor or co-do the event with you so that you mitigate some costs that, you know, building the largest attendee and the highest engaged attendee base is the way to do that, no matter how big it is. Um, and then the other thing I would, I mean, this is a very tactical point, um, but mm -hmm. it's, it's nonetheless, I think a, a good one. Um, it's just something we've learned over the last 20 years of doing events, 
which is big events are great and small events are great. Medium size events are almost impossible to make money at. Um, mm. So once you get above, you know, um, once you get above, you know, couple thousand people, you're good, right? Once you get below something like a hundred people, you're good. That hundred to a thousand people is really hard to make any kind of money at. Hmm. What do you, what do you do to make the jump do enough hundred events, different places that you think you can combine them all together? Yeah. You either do lots of small events, you know, cause small events can, are easy to manage, right? So they're, they're, so read into that they're less expensive, but doing an event for 500 is quite frankly, as expensive as doing an event for a thousand or 1200. Um, and so it, it's, it gets really difficult in that, in that person range to start to get a head count and a price point and a, you know, and a, and a, and a, working plan that can really, really make a good margin on those events. And so there you start saying, how do we either partner with another person or go co-locate with another event to get it up into the, you know, couple of thousand people, you know, 1500 to 2000 people where it can really make, you know, good money. And, and what about digital? You brought that up. What do you, what do you think? Digital is great. Yeah. Digital is wonderful. And it's certainly becoming more prevalent, you know, as we come out of this crisis, but, but, you know, the, um, the, the challenge with digital is, is that you, the, the immediate inclination is to want to take the physical event and just make it digital. In other words, take your eight keynote speakers for the day and turn them into eight webinars with a host. And that is, you know, boy, is Adobe's hurting from this right now. You know, um, Adobe summit just happened and that's all they did was they took the physical event that is typically in Las Vegas every year, and they just made it a bunch of webinars, and it was awful. Mm. Um, I think by I, I haven't spoken with anybody at Adobe, but I'm assuming by even by their own metrics, they would they would they would say that it was a suboptimal experience. So you have to ask yourself, how are you taking advantage of the digital medium in order to optimize and create a powerful experience that is different? Um, you know, instead of having yeah, who a two-day event, think has maybe done that it's well. a two-week event. Sorry. Who do you think has done that well? Anybody to model? Anybody to look at? Well, you know, I mean, not to put again. I don't. I don't want to. I don't no, wanna, no. If you did a good one, I want to hear it. Yeah, I don't want to boast or anything, but I think we did it. You know, our content tech event um, used to be a virtual event, um, and what would normally be a one-day physical event, we would do over two days, right? So, and then we would make it available on demand. And there was we had a, you know, we we used to have a, um, you know, a central, uh, you know, sort of chat room, if you will, where you could go in and chat with some of the sponsors and the, the vendor companies that had come in. And we had separate rooms where you could go have a separate chat with the speakers after their keynote. Um, we made it a virtual event um, and it worked really well. You know, we would get three to 4,000 people to come to it every year. And then we transformed it, ironically, um, it, two years ago, we transformed it into a physical event and it's doing very well. It's a very small event, small intimate event, um, and uh, currently scheduled for August. Um, but we did that really well. And we'll be looking to do that again when we create a hybrid version of it and looking, quite frankly, at doing maybe a hybrid version of Content Marketing World this year, depending on how we do. Um, but it's, uh, uh, those are, you know, those are companies that are doing it, that are doing it. Um, uh, well, we are a company, I would say that's doing it, doing it well. And there are others that I, I, I'm sure I'm not thinking of. Yeah. You know, I gotta say, um, from the other side of, you know, in a way your external speakers almost being clients as well, right. You need to attract them to events. Uh, a friend of mine, Andrea Fryer, that's spoken at content marketing Institute about agile marketing has just had such good experiences with you guys. So you're obviously treating your speakers well, by the way. 
<laughs> Andrea is a dear. She, I, I, I love Andrea. She's fantastic. Yeah, she's great. Um, well, listen, this has been so valuable. Appreciate it all the time. What, what's something you want to end with? Open mic platform? You, is it you want to talk about upcoming events? Is it make sure everybody goes and gets their copy of Killing Marketing? What's, what, what should we close with? Well, I'll, I'll close with this, which is we're in a weird time right now for sure. Um, and, you know, I think one of the things that you're going to start to see a lot of is, you know, what does advertising, what does marketing, what does digital look like, you know, in the coming months, the coming years, and how is that going to affect my business, small or large? And one of the things that I would just urge people to look at is, you know, there will be plenty of opinion on how much digital advertising and how much digital email and where should you put your money in social media and how should you do all of that. One of the things that will be less covered and that I would truly urge the audience to go look at is how do you start solving for that operating model of content? How do you start looking at creating valuable content for your audiences as a muscle, as a muscle that is either atrophied that you don't use very much right now and need to re start to re-exercise as a muscle you need to develop because it's brand new. Um, but start looking at how you're spending time and investment in creating that valuable content for your audiences. It is a, you know, to, to, to borrow from your world, this is a long-term investment. This is not a day trade. Marketing and advertising and the idea of search is all you know, arbitrage and day trading. And this content marketing and the operation of content is a long-term investment that will pay off. And you don't have to invest that much in it, but it's like a savings account. You put a little bit into it every day and it's going to start to pay dividends for you down the road. You know, I just keep coming. When you say that, it just makes me go back to that word you used in episode one about trust. Nobody, yeah. like in, your, in the real world, you might do a transaction with a vendor or something. It's just a transaction. But you don't build that deep trust in a minute, in a day, in a week. You know what I mean? Like that is something that takes meaningful repetitions over time, yet is arguably, you know, one of the best investments. You think about, we all think about the people we've done the most business with. And it's very often somebody that we've built trust with over time. And once that trust is there, we're willing to do business with them over and over and over, right? Exactly. Exactly. Well said. I love it. Well, okay. Thanks again. Appreciate, uh, appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me. Bye, everybody.